And before we begin the message as well, I want to make, um, uh, uh, on a personal note, thank you for all your support for um, the ZPC family in the loss of uh, my niece and nephew, um, Shelby and Harrison Hun, my kid's cousin, for all the letters, the meals, the support, the prayers, everything that you've given um, to us, and I would say to us is to our extended family, not just Claire and our kids, but your generosity has been um, amazing to us, and it is wonderful to be surrounded by um, a church family during difficult times, so I wanted to say that, and I'll say a little bit more about that later, but thank you very much. We continue um, on being shaped like Jesus, and this is our theme for today, and our passages today are two places from Philippians 2 and Mark 6. And so Philippians 2 is the first one, and uh, this is a, a famous passage, kind of a grand passage about who Jesus is. I'm getting a little bit of an echo, Craig. I don't know if you can get that out. It seems a little echoey to me. I don't know if we can dial that in. But we're going to go ahead and read the scripture. It's from Philippians 2 and then Mark 6. And uh, Philippians 2 is a famous passage about who Jesus is and a very grand passage. And so um, I'm going to read that now, and then we'll move on to Mark 6. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. And then from Mark 6, verses 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, on this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today our theme as part of uh, being shaped like Jesus is self-sacrifice. And Jerry chose this passage uh, for us today from Philippians 2. It's a very famous passage. It's where Jesus is grand and God is great. And as we get to the end of the passage, as we just read, we see that Jesus has the name above every other name, that every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I love this passage. I love it for its grandness in who God is and who Jesus is, and it's wonderful. And yet, at the same time, because Jesus is so grand, and that's what I think of when I read this, this passage, it can make it a little hard for us to relate to when we want to think about how am I supposed to be shaped like Jesus when Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, when he humbled himself even to the point of death, how can I get there? 
And so I also wanted us to look at, for a few minutes today, Mark 6. Because Mark 6, we see Jesus as human. We see Jesus being tired. We see Jesus needing a break. And yet, still having compassion on the people and serving in in spite of his tiredness. So in Philippians, we see Jesus is great because he is both humble and obedient and then high and exalted. And in Mark, we see that Jesus is human, that he gets tired, but he is also compassionate and self-sacrificing. So as I thought about these two passages today that are both all about Jesus and all about him self-sacrificing, he sacrifices in big and small ways, in big ways, even from the point of giving up his life and in small ways, even from being tired and yet still reaching out and helping people while he was tired. And I thought about we too can serve in big and small ways. And a big part of him serving in big ways in Philippians 2 is humbling himself and being humble. And as I thought about that, I thought, how are ways that that we continue to try to humble ourselves so that we can serve like Jesus? Well, there's a friend of mine who's a pastor. He's a head pastor at a church. It's not Jerry, so I'm not telling a story on him. But he's a head pastor at another church, and he said he's developing a spiritual practice. And he said he had had a really good Sunday, and if, and if you've ever been a pastor, maybe like Randall here, you know what that's like where um, you've had a really good Sunday, and he, was, he had a good sermon, the people were happy, the church is doing well, and he went home and he was feeling really good about himself. And uh, he, he didn't want to get a big head or anything, so he looked around the yard, and right when he got home from church, and his kids are grown, so they couldn't do this, and he realized the yard needed some help. So he went in, he got a little plastic bag, turned it inside out, put it on his hand, and started picking up the dog poop out of his yard. And he went around the yard, he's still probably in his suit, picking up the dog poop. And he found that that has been a spiritual practice for him. It's unlike prayer or, you know, reading the Bible, but it was, it was something that he has found on Sundays which helps him stay humble. I thought that was a good experience. So what are things that might help us stay humble and be self-sacrificing as well. Well, we are learning about uh, self-sacrifice and uh, in those ways. And Philippians 2, again, teaches us about the grandness of Jesus. In fact, it reads um, like a creed almost, uh, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, almost like a statement of faith of why we believe, what we believe about Jesus and why we believe in Him. Uh, Some scholars think it was even an early hymn that Christians would sing to. Others think that Paul was just very poetic in his writings as he is sometimes in his letters. But he writes this grand statement about who Jesus is, where Jesus humbles himself even to the point of death, and therefore God the Father exalts him. As I thought about this, I thought about sometimes we think uh, as Americans in our culture or, or we hear, we need to climb the ladder of success. We need to go one more level up. We need to find our way um, for that next promotion or go up the ladder of success, climb the ladder. And yet a friend of mine said, Jesus shows us that instead of climbing up the ladder, we're supposed to climb down. We're supposed to climb down the ladder of humility and sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did for us. And if that helps you, that's been an image that has helped me for many years to think about instead of my own life, climbing up the ladder of success, to climb down the ladder of humility and self-sacrifice. In Philippians 2, the Greek word uh, uh, for slave, where it says Jesus uh, took on the form of a slave, is doulos. Doulos means slave or servant or even bond servant. 
And a person in the ancient world who was a bondservant owed a debt to the master and would even serve as a slave until they could pay off the debt and maybe pay off to get their freedom. In a sense, for us, Jesus pays the debt for us. He pays the debt for our sin, taking on the form of a servant to pay that debt so that then not that he could be free, eventually he would, going to heaven, but that we could be free so that we could have life. Another reason to praise him and to think about him and to exalt him and to lift him up. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself, even emptied himself, and took on another form. That Jesus was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. And so without ceasing to be God, he took on human form. And what's this look like? Well, he set aside the right to be only God, to be all God for those years on earth, for the years that he walked around on the earth. He was subject and subjected himself to limitations place and time in that he could only be one place and one time. Unlike the Holy Spirit who can go where the Spirit wills, Jesus limited himself in place and time. Being a human, he had to eat. He got tired. He felt pain. He was humble. He self-sacrificed to be dusty, um, to walk around Israel, to be ridiculed, and to be poor. Um, We don't think about Jesus being poor sometimes. There's a place where it says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It very well could have been for the couple of years, the three years of his ministry, that Jesus really didn't have a home. And where he went, they just found places to stay. And we don't think oftentimes of Jesus being homeless, but it's very possible that for those years of his ministry, as in, in some ways an itinerant preacher traveling around Israel, that he was without a home. Jesus did all these things to be obedient to God's call on his life, to live a perfect life without sin, so that he could be and to, he could be the ultimate self-sacrifice for us. Even though this is a grand call, I think there are ways that we can relate it to ourselves, or we can be self-sacrificing followers of Jesus as well. When we're walking with Jesus, we also voluntarily have limitations. We voluntarily give up some of the things in our own lives, the things maybe that we always want to do or the things that we want to do them, um, to let someone else pick the television show. I mean, that's a big one, right? You want to, somebody else wants to, you want to watch sports and they want to watch something else. So I'm not saying that that ever happens, but, um, but to bigger things like that, to think about our money. We don't want to spend our money solely on ourselves. We want to be good stewards of what God has given us. When someone is is rude or unkind to us, to take a moment, take a breath and think, I want to respond in a Christ-like way instead of reacting. I want to limit myself the way Christ would. Instead of being all about me, I start thinking about others. And we can think about today, God, I want to do my best not to be all about me, but to look out for the interests of others, to find ways, some way today to limit myself like Christ did so I can be for others. We can say a prayer, a daily prayer, God help me to see as I go about my normal day, as I go about the routine things of my day, not that I change everything, but as I go about the routine things of my day, where is it or who is it that you're calling me to, you know, that I'm supposed to go and meet, to talk to, to listen to, to care for. These kind of real daily sacrifices are little daily ways of dying to self. And so when we say it's too grand, you know, that Jesus died, that he died on a cross, there are small things that we can do that we can daily die to self so that we can be more uh, shaped like Jesus. 
And again, this passage, though, it is grand, it is great, and it ends with Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, and it's hard to relate. And so today, as well as Philippians 2, we wanted to look at Mark 6. I think it's a place where we can relate more to how Jesus feels. So there's a little bit background behind the story. Earlier in Mark 6, maybe even on Mark 5, we read that John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, was beheaded and killed. And so Jesus uh, most likely has just learned this very recently, maybe really recently. And here he is, though, um, out serving people, and there's crowds. They've, they've figured out who Jesus is. They're crowding around him. It says, so many were coming and going that they, the disciples and Jesus, did not even have a chance to eat. So they went away on boats on the Sea of Galilee basically to escape. And this is where we see Jesus the human. Jesus is tired. He's probably mourning the loss of John the Baptist, his cousin, and he needs a break. So he goes with the disciples on the boat, and he's most likely a sailboat, which would travel very slowly. But the Sea of Galilee is small. It's basically a lake, and on a clear day, you can see from one side to the other. And so most likely they're on the north side of the Sea of Galilee as they traveled across. And so the people saw what he was doing, and they started walking ahead. And it said even people from other towns joined them so that when Jesus and the disciples got to the other side, and we can picture him, you know, coming in on the boat and, and seeing this crowd gathered there, they beat him there. They got there ahead of him. And we can think of Jesus probably standing and his shoulders slumping, like, can't I just have a time to get, a, get, a, get away by myself? Can't I just get a break from these people? We were looking at this past passage, as we often do on Wednesday at our staff meeting, and one of the ladies on our staff, who is a mom, said it, feel, it felt to her something like this. We're talking about, what does this feel like? What does this look like for us when Jesus was tired, but he still had compassion on the people? She said, well, I think it feels like this. You know, um, it, you've been hanging out with your kids all day. You've been serving your kids, and, and you've been busy. You're tired. And as a mom, you lay down just, I can get a few minutes of rest. I can take a really short nap. And so you go lay down somewhere and close your eyes. And then your son comes in and in a whispered voice says, Mom, where are my shin guards? I have soccer practice. And she said he whispers it because he thinks that if he whispers it, you can still stay asleep but answer him. <laughs> but you can't. Said So she wakes up and tells him where she thinks the shin guards are, and then he goes and he can't find them, so he comes back. And so she gets up from her nap, ending her nap, and goes and helps find the shin guards. And so we all have times like that where we are humbled, when we self-sacrifice, when we are tired, and yet we're still called to serve. And Jesus, too, gets back up. And then I picture him with his shoulder slump. He's tired. He's maybe in mourning. And yet he sees the people, and it says when he sees them, Jesus had compassion on them. They were sheep without a shepherd. And what I like about this and what I think about the wording there and the wording that said after that is I think Jesus is simply being who he is as God and man, and especially right now as man. Jesus was a shepherd, and he saw these people. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be the shepherd. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. So in verse 34, what does it say he did? It said he taught them many things. He just was himself. He went and he was their shepherd, and he taught them many things. Now, we all need, uh, have times in our lives where we need rest and time alone, and later that night, and so this is the passage, I didn't want to include all this today, 
where Jesus actually feeds the 5,000 with the disciples, so he provides for their needs as, as well there. But he sends the disciples out on the water again, and he does have some solitary time alone that night. There's other places in the scriptures where it says Jesus goes and finds a quiet place to pray. And so I think, again, that shows us the humanness of Jesus. So I don't want you to think that every waking moment you have to be in service or helping someone or have compassion. We are all in our humanness in need of times away, of times when we're not hurry, when we're times when we're patient, as Jerry talked about last week. And yet in this moment, Jesus was called to be who he was, a shepherd and a teacher. Jesus often shows self-sacrifice through his healings. He was called to be a healer, and he sacrifices also by the people that he heals. The people that he healed were people that were sick, that had disabilities, people with skin diseases, people who couldn't stop bleeding, people that were often outcast. Jesus was humble, and this is who he spent time with, people he helped, people who interrupted him, people like the man who was a leper. So in the Gospels, we read the story about a leper who needed healing, and lepers not only had a terrible disease, they were alone, they were outcast. No one had to touch them for fear they would get the disease. So they had to live outside the community as we hear in leper colonies, which must have been as horrible as having the disease. Max Lucado said about the story when Jesus healed a leper, he said, the infection was healed with a word from Jesus. Jesus simply said, be healed. But he says, the loneliness was treated by a touch from Jesus. The scripture tells us not only did Jesus say, be healed, he reached out and touched the man as well. And we think about, you know, well, I could never do something like that. And I want to tell you a story about a a man named Dr. Paul Brand. He's a real guy that's a a modern-day doctor in the last 50 years or so. And Philip Yancey, a Christian writer, has written some stories and helped to write, co-author a book with Dr. Paul Brand. He also has treated leprosy patients in impoverished areas of India. And he says that lepers uh, still deal with the same things that they lose the ability to feel pain on their skin so that their, their, out, their outside wounds can get worse and worse. But they feel the pain of rejection. So Dr. Brand was telling a story that uh, he was talking to a young man who had leprosy and he was going to treat him and he had a translator because they were in India. And as he told him about the treatment, Dr. Brand reached out and put his hand on the man's shoulder And this young man began to weep, and he thought maybe he had done something wrong, and he asked the translator, have I said something wrong? And the translator said, no, he's crying because you put your hand on his shoulder. And he said, no one has touched him in many years. What are ways that we, maybe we won't ever be in contact with someone who has such an illness, but what are ways, even in today's world, we can reach out and care for someone and touch them? Even in the last month here at ZPC, I've seen through some of the the programs and the ministries of ZPC how you have reached out and touched people. And so I wanted to tell you about a few of those. Just in the last several weeks, we had Interfaith Hospitality Network where some homeless families, families that have to have children sleep here in our building for a week and as part of their schedule, there has to be hosts. And the hosts get up around four in the morning to go down and to get breakfast ready down in our gathering space and then make sure all the people are up. And then someone else comes in at 5.20 a.m. to drive a big van uh, downtown to take the folks downtown and then, and then drive it back. Uh, many others, many of you, as I've seen some of you around, 
attended or served at one of our men's or women's great banquet the last two weeks. And so again, like they do at IHN, you slept on a cot and it's not very comfortable. And so you're actually sacrificing some of your sleep by serving, but you get to see Jesus in action, Jesus caring for others. You get to self-sacrifice for Jesus. Even today, right now today, Stan Johnson, a, a friend of ours, part of our church family, is serving and preached this morning in Malawi in East Africa. Gretchen Tilly's in Iraq on a mission trip there, which is amazing. And 30 to 40, maybe more, I'm not sure the exact number of ZPCers are in rural Kentucky serving and worshiping with the people there today. And so I'm, I'm grateful for all these things. But I think even more importantly is the self-sacrifice that happens in, in everyday life. Um, when you go around those, those little daily things, when life interrupts you, uh, when someone needs help and someone calls on you and you answer the call for Jesus in a way maybe that only you can answer or a way maybe that, that we all could answer. Those things are very, very important ways of self-sacrifice. So as most of you know, just over three weeks ago, we had the tragic death of my niece and nephew, Shelby and Harrison Hun. especially if you were here in Zinesville, you knew of that. It's Claire, my wife Claire, it's her sister Stephanie, children, and so this tragedy shook all of us up, and it was very painful for us because we were very close to Shelby and Harrison and to Stephanie. They, we lived in the same town, so we did a lot of things together, and uh, it's been incredibly uh, painful over the last three weeks. But I'd like to talk about for a moment how I've seen ways of self-sacrifice and how people have come around in the community in the church community, the Great Banquet community, in this Zionsville community, all over, really, to show us um, ways of self-sacrifice. I talked to a pastor friend just this week, and he said someone called him when they heard about this tragedy, and they said, what do I do when my good friend experiences tragedy? He said, you just go there, and you be present with the person. You don't have to say anything, just be there. And if there is a need, you try to meet the need. That's what you do. So many people have done that just um, for us in these last three weeks. I'd like to share a few of those. Within 20 minutes after we learned of the tragedy, we made a few phone calls and some friends came just to be with us, many of them staying for many hours, including Jerry, our pastor and my friend. A few hours later that same day, I, I thought maybe it was a coincidence at first, but I'm sure that it wasn't. A good friend of our family was driving through Indianapolis from out of town and heard about it, and so she came by our house and helped another woman and my wife, Claire, to clean her house because they knew people would be coming over. Another friend stopped in the middle of mowing her yard. She just stopped where she was when she got the phone call, and she came over and uh, picked me up and drove me two hours to pick up my son and daughter at two different colleges and then two hours back home and, and dropped us off. It was an act of grace. Another friend went to um, our high school where our younger boys go to high school and picked them up and brought them out to be with our family. People brought food. They gave us hugs. They cried with us as we cried. They brought more food. Many of you texted us. Um, you called us. You sent letters and cards and gift cards, and you sent flowers and brought more food, which we, we shared with um, Stephanie and our extended family and many others. A few days later, our college kids needed to go back to college for classes for a couple of days. And so a friend of ours showed up in the dark at 6.40 in the morning 
to drive them two hours back to college and two hours back home. Someone came and, and cleaned and organized our pantry, and I liked that a lot until um, the next morning we were making sandwiches for school, and we couldn't find the peanut butter. Where's the peanut butter? We need PB&J. And I couldn't find the peanut butter, but we found it, and the boys weren't late for school. Another friend of ours that we've been backyard neighbors for like 14 years said, can we mow your yard? And I said, sure. And then they mowed it again a second time. And I said, hey, can you put some grass seed in those holes where we have? I didn't say that. See, it's easy. I couldn't say that then a couple weeks ago. I can say that now. But I didn't actually say put the grass seed in, but I thought about it. So. But I did say this. So a friend of ours, a really, really close friend that we've seen often, almost like family over the last three weeks, she's been organizing meals for all of us. And she was talking to Claire on the phone, and I was sitting nearby, and I, I said kind of loudly, I have a request. And Claire says, what? And I said, ice cream. We have no ice cream. So miraculously, how God works, several hours later, two tubs of Bluebell ice cream, homemade vanilla and chocolate chip cookie dough showed up. And so I say this sort of flippantly, but we cried again because people cared so deeply, not only for ice cream, but just how, how much people would care. We've been um, overwhelmed by all of yours and, and our friends and family, people from out of state and around the country, acts of self-sacrifice, kindness, and compassion. And the gift of presence, of people being present with us. As I look around the room, many that I see here today, and I can't look very long because I'll probably start crying, but through you, God has been present with us. Jesus was present with those who were hurting, with the leper, the crowd who followed him when he was tired. He was present. He sacrificed in small and big ways. And so many of you have been there for us, present for my family, and when I say my family, all of our extended family that's around the north side of Indianapolis who we've experienced it, this. And we can't physically see Jesus. I think about this often. We don't physically see Jesus today, but when we see you, we see Jesus. So thank you. We too can be like Jesus. Jesus is the one in Philippians 2 that shows what it's like to be humble, to be compassionate, to sacrifice. And because he is also God, we can praise him who inspires us to sacrifice for others as he first sacrificed for us. So I'm going to end this thing a little bit differently today. I'm going to ask us in just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song that talks about the name of Jesus, praising the name of Jesus. But before that, I'd like you now to stand with me, if you would. Please stand. And we're going to recite together Philippians 2, 6 through 11. In many ways, as I said, this reads like a statement of faith, a creed, a praise to Jesus that is our greatest example of humility and self-sacrifice and love. Let's read together. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.